on a fluke, I decided to create Sugar Gamers as, you know, a little club. Maybe I'll have like a couple of girls in there and play some games. And I, what I stumbled into was like this void. Uh, there was a community that was missing from the gaming industry that no one was really paying attention to, which was casual social gamers. Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, where we explore the hidden side of modern work. My name is Martin McGovern, founder and lead coach at Career Therapy, and I'm excited to introduce our guest and good friend, Keisha Howard, to the podcast. Keisha is a futurist, award-winning entrepreneur, TEDx speaker, and founder of the amazing Sugar Gamers community. In our conversation, we talk about the human side of gaming, the secret power of introverts, aging gracefully throughout our careers, and how she continues to fight for career freedom in the gaming industry. Her work is absolutely incredible and the community she is building is growing stronger and stronger every day. So I hope you like this episode and go check out Keisha's work. If you also like this, I hope you'll subscribe to our show and leave a review and uh, share this conversation with a friend or colleague close to you. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Keisha. I hope you enjoy. I'm actually most curious to start things off uh, to hear, you know, how did you get into gaming in the first place? Because um, I know you and I met way back, but you were, you were kind of in that hybrid marketing gaming space at the time. And I know that's always been sort of tandem. But, you know, when when did you start looking at gaming as more than just a pastime? Uh Basically, I would say by the age of 10, I knew it was way more than what people thought it was. Um, I, as a, as a young person, my escapism was fiction books. So I, I would read anything I could get my hands on. Um, and that was the way that I stimulated my imagination. That was the way that I passed the time. And then when my older brother got the first Game Boy and played Tetris and the Super Nintendo and all those other uh, you know, game console, so to speak, it, you know, and I think we, I watched them play Zelda and I watched them play and we played Final Fantasy two together. And now you're taking this medium where speculative fiction can be engaged with and immersed in, in a video game. Um, and I just thought that experience just, it spoke to me like, wow, because, you know, watching TV and watching movies is passive. Um, reading books, you know, a little less passive, but still kind of, you know, you're, you're on a journey, whatever the writer says that it's going to be. And then video games offers all kinds of, uh, different ways that you can immerse in a story and a character and, you know, just gameplay in general. And, uh, that just blew my mind and here I am, you know? So uh, I think that it's an amazing medium for, for transformation, education, uh, just it's remarkable in so many ways beyond competition, beyond scoring a point. So, you know, I just think it's, a, it's, it's so, I've been a lifelong gamer and it wasn't until the last recession in 2008 that I really had to think about my career choices. And on a fluke, I explored what it would mean to be in the gaming industry. And I've just been on that journey since. I have not yet arrived uh, at what it means for me, a person like me to be in the gaming industry yet, but it's definitely been an adventure. And there's so many sort of nooks and crannies and challenges 
and boss levels, you know, so <laughs> it's, it's, it's been, um, you know, I, I've tried a little bit of everything in this space, to be honest. I like how you're thinking about it as sort of your career is its own game, its own video game, right? And so like, it really is, you got to, you know, pick up skills, you got to level up, you got to get certain tools along the way, maybe pick up a battle axe somewhere here or there, and you yes. got to fight these bosses, right? And I think a lot of times when we're thinking about the job search in particular, um, fighting bosses, like literally, almost, almost <laughs> literally, right? And um, I'm curious, you know, early on, what did your career look like? What was the, what was the in, an initial path that you started going down career-wise before coming up with all these really cool ideas? So the initial path was finding a community that I could belong to, that I could belong to and feel included in. And this was back in 2008. So this is pre-Gamergate, pre-Black Lives Matter, pre-Me Too, pre-Times Up, pre-All the Movements, right? So this is before that conversation really got started. And all I wanted was a gaming community that had women, that had people of color, that met in person from time to time, and that talked about games and made space for gamers that weren't necessarily competitive. Because I had a full-time job, right? Uh, by the time I really started to explore this space. And I worked in high-end luxury real estate, downtown skyscraper level real estate. And um, I wasn't going to have four to six hours a day to get good at Halo, you know? Mm -hmm. So, but I loved games and I loved uh, RPGs and action adventure and all the games that are like one player. And if you've met somebody that's read the same book or played the same game, there's this excitement. There's just like, oh, you did that too? And I was having a hard time finding that community of like social casual gamers that had women and people of color included as well. And I thought that was pretty, you know, unremarkable criteria to be honest, but <laughs> you know, I never found it. Um, and then, so on a fluke, I decided to create sugar gamers as you know a little club maybe i'll have like a couple of girls in there and play some games and i what i stumbled into was like this void uh there was a community that was missing from the gaming industry that no one was really paying attention to which was casual social gamers uh which in you know i would speculate make up the majority of con the consumer base of the video game industry so yeah, that's how Sugar Gamers got started. That's how I got started. Just sort of looking for people like myself that played games in the fashion that I did, uh, that explored how games made them feel, you know, that particular impact and wanted to talk about it. Uh, so that's basically how it started. And then it just evolved in, in, in a multitude of ways from there. Um, I remember when, um, I think it was 2008, 2009, in the newspaper, there was one of the first female uh, girl gaming groups that I had ever really seen called um, the Female Gamer Alliance or something like that. And uh, I reached out to, to her and she was like one of the first people that um, really kind of gave me some suggestions on how I could start this group. So she was like, well, start a media company you can become a journalist and that'll give you sort of insight to like how the gaming industry works. And even though I'm not 
I don't consider myself a journalist. That's exactly what I did. And that opened up doors that helped me create the community that I wanted to create, that helped me meet video game developers and so on and so forth. I love that you, you know, you looked around, you saw something that didn't exist and you took the initiative to build it yourself, right? I think that that's one of the biggest things that people struggle with in, in building their careers that they go, well, it doesn't exist or it exists in a way where I don't know how to get in that door or meet those people. Or maybe it's like, I'm in Virginia and it's in California or something like that, right? And um, being able to just take a step back and, be, and, and take that ownership and being able to do that, I think is really incredible. How did you fit that in around your full-time job and your, your life responsibilities? Like, how did you end up making that work? Because I think that's one of the things that scares people so much. Luckily, I, I had a very unique experience at that particular time. Like I said, it was 2008, 2009, right at the beginning of the last recession. So I got a life lesson that I don't think a lot of people get to have. So, you know, what that life lesson was, I had already heard the directions, go to school, work hard, get good grades, get a good job, work hard, you know, like get promoted, you know, don't rock the boat, make sure you, you're good at your work. And I did that. I did that super hard. And um, that didn't fucking matter. So <laughs> I still, you know, lost my job. I still had to deal with the recession. I still had a period of time where I didn't make any money. I, you know, I still had to like get into the situation where everything that I worked for and planned my future around sort of disintegrated. And I had to accept that and I had to move on. And I had to explore what that meant. And during that time, that's when I really, you know, sort of developed Sugar Gamers. So it was, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, they have that, a lot of fear jumping off the cliff, like, oh, uncertainty. What if I don't get a paycheck? What if I, well, I, I dealt with the last recession. So like, you know, I, I got a crash course in getting over those fears really fast. And since then, you know, a lot of my friends are always surprised when I'm just able to leave a job that no longer, that I'm no longer suited for, you know, um, that no longer inspires me or, or you know, uh, enriches my life. So I could just leave because there is so many other ways to live besides just check to check. Um, so it allowed me a lot more space, I would say, than, than most people during that time to just like sort of explore. It's like, hey, well, this thing that I put all of my time and energy and resources into didn't work and I failed. And it wasn't completely my fault, but it, my plans didn't work out. So what next? And so how about incorporate something that I loved my whole life? Like how about going into video games and see what happens? And that's what I've been doing these last 12 years. Um, you know, I've went back to real estate here and there, but for the most part, I've taken jobs that teach me what the industry is all about. I've learned new skills. I've, you know, done those things. So uh, I think that, you know, for me, just having that experience of navigating that last recession was um, sort of a big sort of uh, catalyst for how I approach working in my career, for sure. And that really does seem to be the, the case for a lot of folks. When Whenever I get on the phone with someone who was recently laid off, what, what I 
find consistently over and over again is they go, man, I've just been waiting for this to happen. I've been waiting for someone else to do this for me so that I could actually go explore some of the ideas that I've been putting off because I was comfortable or because I you know, didn't want to rock the boat and get in trouble. And I think a lot of people are scared when they work at a company to do the things that they like to do outside of work because they don't want to be perceived in unprofessional ways or different. I'm sure that's changing now with the rise of you know, TikToks and personal brands, all the stuff that's going on. But, you know, I think generally speaking, sometimes people need a push. And I know that when I went through uh, some hard experiences, like that's, that's where the resilience comes from. And so to hear you just like continue to build that over time and, and then realize that, you know, maybe early on, it was something that you had to go through that wasn't expected, but then in the future, you now have the grit to be able to choose when those moments happen and to be like, nope, this is now I get to walk away. That's really cool. Um, when you were going through all of this, um, I'm really interested in the media company, like the advice you got to build a media company. Why, why was that the advice? What is it about building a media company or building a brand that makes things easier or better or more efficient? Well, I didn't know at the time what building a brand meant. I just, it seemed like decent advice, create a website, you know, uh, write some articles, do some game reviews, interview some individuals. It seemed like something that was, that was accessible in my, my particular skill set at the time. So I'm like, this doesn't seem that hard. And, you know, if you wanted to go to an event, you can apply as media and then you wouldn't have to pay for it. And I was just like, oh, you know, because I, I would see all these conventions and these events. And I'm like, I can't afford to go there. I can't afford that ticket. I can't afford, I can't afford. And then having the media company, even though, you know, like hands down, I didn't know what I was doing. But um, having that media company just forced me to, you know, constantly solve problems. Like it no longer was about money. It was about narrative. Uh, it was about connection. It was about learning, you know, and language. So that opened up a lot of doors for me that I think that had I not done the media company first, um, I, I would have not gotten to where I am because it taught me how to be resourceful. It taught me how to be, you know, like how to do my research to really demonstrate respect um, to the people that were already in the space. Like people who've worked hard and, and, and really put a lot of effort into whatever they created or to into their career, really appreciate when they're seeing for their contribution to an industry. Um, and you can go so much further just uh, maintaining these very human relationships and highlighting people that normally don't get those sort of accolades. Um, and it was really nice to have that platform or to have created a platform where it's like, yeah, I'm not going to be interviewing the most famous people in the world, but I'm going to find people that I think are, are deserving of being highlighted and just creating those relationships, understanding, you know, these people's, you know, uh, their, their contributions, their works, their, their, their talent. Um, in my opinion, was the what made the media company work relevant rather so uh not only that um in 2009 there weren't a lot of black owned 
video game media companies doing what I was doing. Um, and they're really hard to maintain. Um, it definitely is a labor of love. And uh, yeah, you know, but you know, at the same time, it was like, if I would have known that I had the courage to make this media company, I would have never went to college because the what I learned in those first few years of running Sugar Gamers was substantially more important and more imperative to my career than anything that I really got out of school. So uh, that was my education to me. That's what I, you know, everything that I, I invested in in that moment was my education of like, if there was a such thing as a video game industry degree, that's what school I put myself through. So uh, having the media company and then also that helped me form the community. You know, what do, does the community want to see? Like I would get emails like, hey, have you heard of this person? Uh, you should interview that person. Have you played that game? And people love talking about the things that they're into. And so it just allowed me an ease into creating the sort of community that I wanted to see that I, I didn't necessarily anticipate. Because when you think about starting a media company, you're like advertising, <laughs> banner ads, you know, that sort of thing. And you don't necessarily think of community and information and education and, you know, so on and so forth. So the other side of media is that, you know, once you get out of what makes it suck in some ways, you can really find the, the parts that make media so incredibly important to, you know, the fabric of our society, right? It's not all about advertising and marketing. Um, but because Sugar Gamers was a media company, I just got glomped into marketing. But really, my skill set is more so relational, organizational communication and psychology. I love understanding how people communicate within a space, within a community, within an organization or a business, and like figuring out ways that we can connect better and communicate better in that space. And the gaming industry is one of the most fascinating spaces to do that in because there are so many different types of people who are coming together out of the love of the same types of things. And they talk about it in different ways and they have different experiences. And it's a very fascinating space to be in and really see all these different perspectives that align in one space, so. And being able to see all of that from a like a really hyper psychological perspective and being able to understand the humanity behind it as well, I think is incredibly interesting. So when when you're in this space and you're trying to, you know, think of topics to, you know, write about or people to interview or, or you know, how to get your voice out there, what were some of the early struggles in getting your voice heard? What were some of the ways in which you overcame different barriers? I mean, first of all, it's just like really kind of deciding what my voice was. Like, who am I? Who, what is my voice? Um, it was something I never really, it, it was something that I didn't articulate or think about in those, in that structure for a while after I had started Sugar Gamers. I just was going, right? Like I, I just, I was just doing the things. Um, and when I met barriers of, of, of entry, so to speak, I just, I had already had corporate experience. I already like understood what those barriers were gonna be 
because I already worked in high-end real estate. Like the company I worked for was at the time Donald Trump's competitor for the Trump Towers. Um, so it was a lot of money being talked about, a lot of huge transactions, a lot of city politics, you know, that sort of thing. So I already had like a crash course in what it'd be like. And I had assumed that the video game industry was gonna be so different because we're all nerds and we're all having fun. But I was very prepared for the fact that there was gonna be racism and sexism and homophobia because I already prepared for that for the corporate jobs that I had beforehand. I was just thinking that, you know, this was gonna be fun and games. And in some ways it was. But emotionally, I already sort of toughened up. I didn't get into the gaming industry like right. Like that wasn't my first go-to. So I already had like a little bit of grit and resilience already built up. Um, so I'm not going to say it was easy for me to overcome, but I understood intrinsically as anybody in a leadership position, anybody in an executive position, you have to you got to be the gritty one. You got to be able to hold the weight. And like, there have been times where, you know, I've had like terrible experiences, but I have to keep going. And it's only been recently that I've allowed myself to slow down and sort of heal and reflect upon all the things that I kind of turned the other cheek and just kept going. Right. Um, but yeah, like I, I just sort of assumed that I didn't get to be sensitive, you know, um, I didn't get to be vulnerable either. I'm a leader and I'm gonna fucking carry the weight or I am going to wither from the pressures of trying to navigate the space. So I was gonna have a voice regardless, you know, and it was just a matter of becoming more confident in it instead of like sort of anticipating that, you know, all the preconceived notions that were going to be had about me being a woman, being a black woman at that, um, were going to always be, you know, present. And a lot of times it, it wasn't always, and, and sometimes it was, but, you know, I kind of just was like, this is where, what, where the problems are, and this is why I need to do this. I would meet people and they were like, I've never seen a black woman in gaming. This is back in the day. So it's, like I said, 2009, 2010, it was like not a lot of people that came in this particular flavor in the space. And, you know, I just, I just dealt with it. Like I didn't, like either I'm gonna do this or I'm not. And I don't necessarily recommend that. <laughs> it's not for everyone, but, you know, I just happen to have some of the fortitude to, to do it. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that there's, you know, <laughs> therapy I need to have to really, you know, get out some of the, the, the experiences that I've had, but I, I wasn't gonna fail. I, I'm not going to lose. And if I do lose, you learn from that situation just to move forward. You learn whatever nuggets you need to like, keep it, keep it going. And I think that's like intrinsic to being a gamer as well. It's like, all right, I didn't pass this board. What I gotta do to pass this board? And then you pass the board the next time. So I never like was so attached to an outcome that if the outcome didn't happen, I was just gonna stop and quit. 
So it's only been recently where I'm just like, oh, this is exhausting. But also like, I don't, I'm proud, you know, 12 years. I, and I do work that I really, that's really enriching. I'm never bored. I'm always learning. I'm always meeting new people. It's been, you know, worth staying the course. So even though it's been very difficult. Yeah. And that's leading into that, you know, that that's a certain type of strength that you have to bring out when you step into leadership roles and you lead a community like that. And now there's like another version of that same strength to be vulnerable and to um, lean into the, okay, wait a second, I can feel some of these things and I can do that in a strong way. As you've been slowing down, has there been any realizations or any thoughts of how you might change your approach in the future or just, just realizations in general um, now that you're taking some time to sort of reflect and, and slow down? Yeah, I think it's important to take inventory of your life sometimes. Like we're, we, you know, I started Sugar Gamers when I was like, what, 25? So, and I've just been going, right? And so then now at this particular point, it's the, 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 the goals that I had for my future self, I have for the most part accomplished them. So now I have to recalibrate and reevaluate where I'm really trying to go, streamline and focus where I'm going, take an inventory of the resources that I have and really understanding how I wanna utilize them instead of like overworking or as my little brother says sometimes, he's like, you're always overproving yourself. You've already done that five times he's like now you just need to get paid for it you've already done it you've done it well you've already had those experiences and you know now it's I have to stop myself from just like saying yes to everything and really understand the value of of my work and of my presence um understand like the people who are asking me to do things like do they value what I've contributed, do they do any research? When I first started, I always did research. Like I always made sure that I knew who I was talking to and I read previous articles about them if they existed and I read their bio and I read everything that there was to read. And then I had a conversation with them beforehand to even see what they wanted to talk about and what made them passionate. Like just that, you know, there's a lot of people who don't even do that work anymore. And it's very fascinating how it's gotten to that level. Um, I'd never considered myself a journalist, but I'm just like, wow, I, I thought that was foundational to interviews, to connecting with people in the space, is just doing some research. Um, so just taking inventory and, you know, really looking at where the video game industry is now and really deciding where I want to fit. Um, so that's where, I, where I've been. It's just, you know, instead of being like, all right, I got to work. I got to work hard. I got to make all the money. I got to, you know, get this job. I got to land this deal. Just being like, you know, I've done a lot. What do I want to do with that experience? Instead of being like, I've got to do all these things. Because if I'm not being productive, that means I have no value. Like the value that I have created over the period of 12 years still is there even when I slow down or stop working for a little while and I just need to decide what I want to do with that I think there's this this uh this notion that like if you're not constantly out there then people just forget about you 
And I guess in some ways that's how social media works, but that's not how human relationships work. And if you really have a human first approach, those relationships are still there even when you take time off. And that's how I've, you know, sort of been in this space. It's like, I know the people that I talk to and, you know, I know the companies and I, I try to keep up. I try to be like, how you doing? How has life treated you? Are you okay as a human being? I don't want anything. Just let's connect. Let's maintain our relationship. And um, yeah, it's, I think that that has slowly started to not be a component of society as much um, with social media, right? Because you're just like, you're on it, you say stuff, people like it, and it feels real to an extent, but it's not a real relationship you have with your community. And I started before social media became the it thing to like have success metrics on, right? So it's like, did you make a game? You know what I'm saying? Instead of do you have a million followers on TikTok? You know, um, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's space for all of it. It's just that I prefer the actual human relationships, you know, approach than to like, let me build my, my numbers because what do those numbers really mean after a while? Like, what are those vanity metrics supposed to really do? You know, especially as you age, and um, I think about that a lot. It's like, how do I want to age into my career? I really can't see myself being like 45, 50 years old, trying to TikTok, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, um, so I, I don't know if that answers that question, but yeah, I just, you know, uh, that I, I learned that slowing down is okay because I've worked hard, I've produced a lot and I have been good to people for the most part, or I've tried my best, you know, this entire time. Like, was that my best? Did I make a mistake here and there? Absolutely. And, you know, during that time I've matured, I've learned, I've, you know, <laughs> went back to the drawing board quite a few times, but, but yeah, you know, it's like, it's okay if, you're doing your best to like rest every once in a while, even when you're working out, right? Don't trainers say you got to have a rest day so your muscles can kind of repair oh, yeah. and be stronger than not ever. So I, I feel like you got to do that for your spirit and for your, your creativity, for your, you know, for some of those intangible things that we think of as muscles almost. So. Exactly. And it's in the way I've been, uh, been sort of coached to think about it recently uh, in therapy and stuff like that is seasons. Um, thinking about the evolution of everything in seasons. Sometimes you're in hyper, you know, uh, growth, and sometimes you're like really busy, and then sometimes you're in the passive kind of let it, reaping the rewards of all that effort, right? And and it comes back and forth. And I I like your distinction there um, between building a community and chasing fame. And there is a really big distinction. And I think, you know, there's there's the Gary V's of the world, right? Who are like, every single company is a media company and every single person is an influencer. And if you're not posting 700 times a day, then you're failing. And like, that creates a level of anxiety in the world that's, uh, you know, I'm sure is so healthy. But uh, <laughs> where do you sort of see like, 
what do you see as the difference between fame and community? Like a famous person having a following and a person who is actually developing a community. What do you sort of view as the difference between those two things? And have you seen it change over time in the gaming world specifically? Oh, yes. Oh, in the gaming world specifically, that's a whole interesting different conversation in the world in general i'm just like you know i don't know i only know how i do community for me using myself as an example you know like i try to not gatekeep right so yeah i can spend x amount of hours making sure i adhere to social media algorithm sharing every element of my life but I feel like some elements of relationships should be sacred. Like you should be in that moment. You should be present. And a lot of times, like every summer before the pandemic, I used to teach uh, kids a class. There's volunteering called Intro to Futurism. It was a little camp, but it's like, I'm not in there like every day with the camera in front of me. Like, all right, kids, let's be on the, you know, it's like, I have to make, I have to build relationships with these children. You know, I have to understand where their pain points are, where their challenges are, what they're curious about. And some of that takes focus on a person's body language, on a person's eye contact, the tone of their voice, how comfortable they are. And you can't just bring out the phone and make that performative. Uh, some elements of being in your community or you know, being more community focused can't be performative. It just They just can't. And I, I think that's the biggest difference between fame and and really wanting to impact a community or create a community it's like everything can't be performative everything can't be caught on camera every little bit of your life can't be exploited for numbers and metrics and, and maybe that works for some people but like i'm an introvert and i get really tired sometimes and when people talk at me and i don't know them it's it creates this feeling within me like is there something I'm supposed to be doing you know like but I, I do enough you know I, I do as much as I can um with that being said it's just like I think that it's you know and you can still build a, a very quality following you can still become famous and not have every element of your life be performative you know like I like people have uh, their their job but then their relationship is also like for public discourse and public consumption their you know every bit of their lives is is open for public consumption and i just think that that is such such beautiful parts of ourselves that we're just giving away so freely and um it's just never set right with me like you know i think we should have some privacy we should have some moments where your phone is just completely away and you just absorb the moment with your human senses. <laughs> you have to remember the moment with your memory. You got to see with your eyes. You got to feel. And um, I'm, you know, with the pandemic, one of the things that really scared me, I'm like, is, are we now going to have to figure out how to do that completely in a digital space? Because I don't know if that is some, a life I want to live, right? So, you know, I was thinking about volunteering even more just to like be reconnect with what I feel makes me a human being because it's not Instagram. <laughs> you know, it's, it, that doesn't make me feel human. It makes me feel like a product 
which is fine. You know, um, I don't think that everything is just bad about social media. I just think that there are way too many elements that are taking us away from our humanity, not making us more uh, in touch with it. So true, right? It's like a really crummy version of the Matrix, right? We can't even learn Kung Fu. It <laughs> yeah. distracts us so much. We can't even learn Kung Fu. Um, and I, I really like what you're putting down here because um, it's bringing up a lot of different aspects of, of boundaries and privacy and things like that. And, you know, when it comes to sharing so much of yourself online, you know, the fact that you're an introvert, but still a leader, I think is such a huge thing that people don't always realize of like, how can introverts be leaders? Because I think, you know, culturally, the cliche is that they can't, right? That if you're an introvert, it's hard to get jobs. If you're an introvert, it's hard to, you know, lead something or build something. And honestly, most, you know, CEOs and most people who are in leadership roles they're not the ones at every happy hour. They're not the ones, they're the ones that are at home working on the strategy, building the things, right? And so there is this um, amazing ability that you're kind of pointing out to be able to be a leader, a leader and a person. And that's where that freedom piece, I think, comes back into it because you can be um, controlled, let's use the word control versus freedom, you can be controlled in a job, but you can also be controlled as an entrepreneur, right? So yeah. someone quits their job and then they build their entire life around social media. And I can't tell you the number of people I've seen online recently who are like talking about the time they got like, I mean, there's this whole big thing right now with social, these YouTubers where someone got uh, hit into a crane and he had all this like surgery on his face and like he's... He's like, thank God someone kept the camera rolling so we could be talking about it today. And he's like, I'm really emotional. I'm having a hard time, but I'm just so glad that we had, I'm like, some of this should be private, but they, but he, he, there's a point where like his dog was barking. He's like, Hey, this is how we make money quiet. And like, I'm like, damn, man, like nothing, nothing is sacred. Not a single thing in the, in these people's lives is sacred. And it reminds me when you're talking about like pulling out the phone and being performative. It reminds me of uh, an influencer that someone showed me the other day on Instagram. Their kid comes running off the soccer field crying because they missed a goal or whatever the thing might be as a really young kid. And the dad's hugging the kid and the mom just has the phone and she has this like paragraph written about how you should feel your emotions and how you should. I'm like, if my mom put a phone in my face <laughs> when I was crying at a soccer game, when I'm like six years old, I, I'm like, I don't want to be around that mom the rest of my life, right? And so I think what you're calling out here is really interesting. And again, everyone live your life the way you wanna live it, right? But I think that the narrative that's out there doesn't talk enough about how to be an introverted leader or how to be a community leader who's not being an influencer or influencing, but influencing with influence, not you know, the, the traditional way. So what are some of the struggles that maybe you've come across along this journey? Are there times where you felt like you had to be a certain way um, and yeah. were pulled? Yeah, I mean, you you bring up like a good point. It's, it's so 
pervasive, right? So, you know, there are times where I'm like, oh, if I'm not on social media, I'm just going to lose all my opportunities. I'm not going to be competitive. No one's going to know the work that I've done. And so I, I try to do it. And then I feel the inauthenticity sort of creeping up within me. And it feels very, I, I start suffering from like a, a sort of cognitive dissonance and I'm just like, this isn't, you know, this isn't what, who I am, right? Um, but I feel like social media and like the influencer industry and just what it means to, to be relevant in this day and age, it's like tar, it's so sticky and gooey. You just touch it and you be like, all right, I gotta do more of it. And you just get it all over you. And you just think that that's the way you should do things. And, you know, um, I remember, like last year, I was having a really hard time with this cognitive dissonance sort of thing because it was the pandemic. It, you know, so much civil unrest, so much, you know, just change and uncertainty and just, it was a terrible time to like be on the internet really. And uh, I remember talking to a friend of mine and I was like, yeah, I gotta build a social media strategy. And then I just started crying. I'm just like, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to think about that at a time where my heart hurts. You know what I'm saying? Like, what am I going to put on social media? I don't, I don't want to do that. That's not real to me. Like, I just want my heart to hurt and I want to process those feelings and figure out how I feel. And I think that being an introverted leader, because like a lot of people still misconstrue introversion with shyness and you know, for me, I take so much time to observe, to observe things quietly from afar. I'm just like, what is this? And do my own research, come up with my own ideas about it, process it. It takes me a long time to process things. Like I, I, I get overwhelmed with a lot of stimulus. Um, so when I do make decisions, I'm very confident about those decisions. When I do talk about the things that I feel, I'm very confident about it because I've been quietly sort of trying to process all of it for an extended period of time before I talk about it, right? So it, it comes off like, oh, I'm so, you know, extroverted or, you know, a great communicator, but it's kind of like the difference between those rappers that can just freestyle and those rappers that got to remember their raps I'm, I would have to remember <laughs> my rap it wouldn't come out like if somebody was like all right go and just like do something I've never done before like I have to I'll try it but I have to practice I have to take a little bit more time for for me to feel comfortable and for me to feel good but um anyways back to the, the social media aspect I just it sometimes just I acknowledge the feelings that come up with me, I'm just being inauthentic. I am only only on social media, not to connect with anyone, but to out of fear, out of fear that I will be forgotten, out of fear that people think I'm not working or productive, out of fear that, you know, just out of fear. And so I just stopped. And if I want to post, I post. And if I don't, I don't. And if I, if I want to be on it, I will. And, you know, like, I don't hold myself to it. And ever since I've done that, like, I've made that very deliberate choice. I've had, I found myself with so much more time. Like, I forgot I knew how to write 
I'm like, oh, I can write a story. <laughs> like I can write things down with a pen and paper. Like I've been, you know, studying philosophy again. Um, you know, like there's just all this space that social media and like just trying to be relevant on the internet takes up in your brain is so distracting for a person like me. Um, and I really enjoy learning other things that you can't really uh, immerse yourself in on social media because social media is designed to sell you something every single time. They're selling you something, they're commodifying something, they're creating a product out of something. And so there's not just pure learning opportunities. There's not just pure, it's not, you know, and I was raised by my grandmother. So I think that that kind of has created even a, a more of a disconnect for me because I didn't have a lot of technology until I went to college. So I didn't, you know, all I had was books and a console, a video game console. Um, if I did have the internet, it was either at school or at college, you know, it wasn't something that I just had access to, you know, until I was about 18, 19 years old. So imagine living the first 18 years of your life where you have to, you know, there's no social media, you know, so I've lived, you know, uh, approximately half my life without it. And that's the foundation of how I've learned how to relate to people. So, you know, like I do sometimes feel very compelled to, to, to be a part of it, but I think it comes from the wrong place when that occurs in my brain. Like, oh, I gotta do this. But why do I feel that way? Why am I feeling that way? And I, you know, just recently just stopped to really, really hone in on that discomfort and process, uh, process it out and um, just let it be. And, you know, I was really scared that it would be uh, adverse to the career that I've built for myself, but it hasn't been. And I'm like, woof. And I think that a lot of people are afraid to like kind of try that out. So, but I'm here to tell you, I'm an example. Like you can let social media go sometimes. <laughs> you know? I love it, especially because, you know, um, what I tend to see, no matter where people start from, if their goal is views and to be that entertainer, right? Because that's really the difference. It's like, am I writing about gaming and building a community around gaming or am I being an entertainer? And like, when I see people move into the I'm being an entertainer mold, then it just becomes whatever the trends are. And so I heard someone recently say like, TikTok is the only place you can be authentic. And I, I heard that and I, it, it really didn't sit well with me because I'm like, what on TikTok is authentic? It's literally not your voice. You are, you're mouthing other people's things and you're choosing what to lip sync based off of whatever's at the top of the list that week. So as a marketer with my marketing hat on, I'm like, this is like pure control. You don't even make anything original. It's all coming from what I want you to do if I was the person in charge of TikTok. And some of my favorite YouTubers are people who are like clearly just a person in a basement <laughs> with nothing, no, no community, no following. They're just like, this is my typewriter and I love it. <laughs> like, they're just clicking little, yeah. 
yeah you you get it it's just like and and those people they just they just appear to be more accessible they are more accessible like most of the people that i find to be compelling on social media i friend them right away i am just like i friend and follow them and i talk to them and i would say that's a, a major difference in how i approach social media as well like i've never approached social media as like I have to entertain. It's like, I'm supposed to connect with people here. Remember when MySpace and Facebook first came out, it was supposed to be like, this is how you connect with long lost friends. And this is how you connect over distances. And this is how you can meet new people who you have common interest with. And that's where I'm staying. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't yeah. want all to, all the other stuff is cool and it's, 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 you know, something for everybody out there, but like, I want to be able to talk to this person whose time, it, you know, who, who's captured my time, right? I want to be able to build a relationship and understand what I'm consuming from a human point of view. Like, are you a human? Like, what, what's going on here? So, um, there we go. Anyways, uh, <laughs> anyways. We'll get uh, that clarity back. But yeah. I think I think that brings it back exactly to what you're talking about earlier, which is how do you want to age in your career? And I'm glad you brought up that point because um, I actually just had this conversation on the last podcast of like, when you start to do stuff that's maybe a little more creative or maybe a little bit more outside of the beaten path, right? Um, it, it's hard to you'll come across people that are like, well, how do you make a living off that? How do you do this? How do you do that? And you get all these questions, right? And sometimes those answers are not answerable for a while. You've got to kind of do it for a while before you start to get those answers. But then you start to ask like, I, uh, the person I was talking to yesterday, they're like, I don't know if I want to be doing this when I'm 60, because I don't think I'm going to show up the same way. And we could talk about ageism as a whole different conversation. But, um, and the same thing for me, I'm like, what would a 75 year old career coach Martin look like would it would he really have his finger on the pulse of what's happening in the, the career environment today I don't know so it's like I'm always thinking you know 10 10 15 years ahead and for you with the gaming industry and how you've seen it evolve since you know 2012 and where you see it going what are your sort of ideas of where this might evolve or where you might even explore other areas I think it's interesting, uh, the whole, like, what will I do later? Uh, so this year I've been taking care of older family members, uh, particularly my grandmother who's 81. And this pandemic has been extremely difficult for her. And when you're at that age, being active is very important. Being stimulated in your body and in your mind is very important. So hopefully when we're that age, we're not at a, <laughs> like hopefully there's still sun and trees and people that want to be around us because um that that has really you know kind of hit me in the face it's like hey you know being old is a thing like your body deteriorates and after that your relationships with people who are really actually going to tangibly be around you are going to be important um so for me I am just gonna continue exploring the humanity in this industry. Because as much as I like technology, I dislike how it almost wants to create robots out of us. 
And I just want to keep technology being a tool instead of a form of control. And I think I just want to remain in all the iterations of my age, of my life, of my career, uh, a person that is humanity first and sort of giving people, at least from my experience, a way to continuously recalibrate to, you know, understanding that their human lives, their bodies, and their brains are always going to be better than a simulation. Um, and that might not be the most popular approach when we're, you know, kind of hurtling very quickly toward a ready player one, you know, dystopic reality. But, uh, you know, I'm hoping that maybe we don't have to do that. And I want to be in the industry uh, at least coming up with ideas of ways we can utilize this technology for good. And that means staying in the community, understanding what the challenges are that we're really facing from a bottom-up approach, not a top-down. And, you know, like once you get all the way up there and you're, you're getting them $4 million bonus checks because of all the users you've gotten on your platform, like how do you know what digital redlining means for hundreds of thousands of people. How do you know what it means to not have a good tech program in a Chicago public school? What do you, you know, like there's, there's things, there's issues. And I want to remain connected to those issues while simultaneously learning about the emerging technologies that will affect how human beings engage with one another. And I think that video games are one of the best places to do that because video games intrinsically should be all about play. And through play is how we learn, is how we connect, and it's usually how we build the community, right? You know, back in the day, you have your football team or your sports team, or you play tag with the neighborhood kids. Like, I don't know, but if video games are going to, you know, take up so much space in our, our current reality, like they should have tangible benefits to humanity. And I just at least want to be a person that always pushes that agenda through um, for as long as I'm alive, right? So because I'm equally as immersed in maintaining real relationships as I am in understanding how technology will affect them, enhance them, you know, so on and so forth. I'm just incredibly excited to see where you take it and cannot wait <laughs> to see the future iterations. So Keisha, thank you so much for joining us today. If uh, folks want to find you online, where should they go? Um, I am pretty much everywhere uh, at Sugar Gamer or Sugar Gamers. And then my personal website is gokeisha.com. And that's where I kind of catalog some of my adventures. And I'm, I'm pretty much on all the social media. So like whatever is um, needed, you know, I am, I am on the internet. I'm just not interneting all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and bring those real conversations when you reach out. Keisha, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me, Martin. This was fun. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode today. I really appreciate your support of what we're building here at Career Therapy as we continue to try and 
explore the hidden side of modern work and tell some of the stories that maybe don't get enough light shed on them. If you enjoyed what you listened to today, I hope you will leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, subscribe to this wherever you're listening or watching on YouTube, Spotify, etc. And uh, share this with some friends who you know are going through similar experiences and looking to build their career and, and gain some insights along the way. Again, thank you so much for stopping by, and I wish you the best. I'll see you on the next episode.